This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. We're going to go from the book of Judges today. (laughs) The book of Judges, chapter 6. Some of you may have heard of Gideon before, and we're going to go through his story today and just see if we can bring some application for our lives and what it, what it might mean in our context. All right, so there's a bit of reading here to give some backstory. But before I even get into the reading, I'll give backstory to the backstory. <laughs> because in Judges, this is a time period of tumult in Israel. And people aren't really serving God. They're not staying faithful to his ways. So this is after... Moses has brought everybody out of Egypt and into the promised land. Moses passes away. The next guy in line, Joshua, passes away. And they're in the the promised land. And then they're just like, "Mm, we'll serve the gods here. And so they stopped really serving Yahweh. They stopped really following him and his ways. And they floundered. The people floundered. And there wasn't really any one person in charge. And so the whole book of Judges is about the fact that God raised up judges to help rule over Israel, to bring stability, to maybe bring them back. But it seemed to just last as long as that leader was in charge. And then they would go back to their own ways, serving the other gods. And so the story of Gideon pops up towards the beginning of the book of Judges. And he's one of, he's one of the first judges to rise up and follow the call of God and help lead the people to some victory um, and help them overcome. But this is, this is now the backstory to his call and what happened with him. So Judges chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. We'll pause there for a second. So uh, you guys have all probably seen like in Egypt, what, happened, what was one of the ten plagues? The plague of locusts, right? And the way that they're describing this is now the place that's supposed to be the promised land, the place that is supposed to be set apart unto God and with a people set apart unto God is being ravaged by a plague of locusts. The thing that's not supposed to happen in Israel is happening in Israel. The thing that's supposed to happen to God's enemies, God's like, backed off his protection and his covering. And so the thing that was supposed to happen to the enemies, the things like, that's what happens to the Egyptians. That's now happening to the people of God. That's not the way it's supposed to work, right? And it's so crazy to me. It says, it says, for seven years, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And then it says, the Midian so impoverished them that they cried out to the Lord for help. Like, it took you seven years to figure out God's not on your side? Right? Like, that's a long time. Like, people are dying. You're starving to death. Your animals are getting killed. They're ruining your crops. 
Year one goes by. Like, I, I just need a month. Like, just give me a month without the Lord and I'm going to wake up, right? But these people were, they were, had become so hardened in their heart and they were following and trusting other gods that they did not even recognize what was happening. And so it took them seven years before they cried out to the Lord for help. So when the, verse 7, so when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. This wasn't Gideon, it was just a prophet, unnamed, who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Now we have the solution, right? So they finally, they cry out to the Lord and we realize it wasn't really the Lord abandoning them. It was them abandoning the Lord. The whole cause of the issue was that they had abandoned God and instead started following other gods, following other ways. And I look at this and I look at not just us and our church and the tendency, like we can all tend to slip and fall prey to the culture, but you look across our country and it seems to me like often people in church are falling into slavery of the gods of the land and the mentalities of the land. And they're not serving Yahweh. They're claiming to serve Yahweh. They show up to church and they sing about Jesus, but then they're falling prey to the gods of culture, to the thinking of the culture. And it's easy to slip into that. It's easy to be pulled into that. And we're reading a story and we're like, how could they do that? But you realize like this is over the course of a generation. This is over the course of 40 years that they've just slowly given up ground. They've slowly stopped following Yahweh and incrementally let the gods of the culture have their way and have their say. And God warned them ahead of time. Don't let this happen to you. Don't let this happen to you. Follow me. Serve me. Listen to me. I'll keep you safe. And you can imagine like how frustrating that must be for the Lord. Like this is kind of one of those, hey, I told you so moments without, he's being nice and he's not saying I told you so. But like this is what happens when you abandon me. This is what happens when you embrace culture of the world. And you start serving the gods of the world, the gods of the land where you live. And we're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to stand against them. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, the Bizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, so we'll pause there again. Threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't know the last time you guys made some wine, <laughs> but the way that it worked is there were kind of these two different levels of stone and they would press the grapes on one so that the water would kind of run down through, or not the water, the wine. Uh, Jesus hadn't turned it yet. Um, 
And the wine would kind of run down through into the other lower space. But it was also protected. There was like walls around it. And I also don't know the last time you threshed wheat. But the way that you specifically thresh wheat is you throw it up into the air to let the wind take the chaff away. So uh, if you imagine like taking one of those bundles of, of wheat, you guys all know what a, sh- a sheaf of wheat would look like, right? You bundle it all together and you've, you've got it down on the ground and you actually thresh it with your pitchfork or your shovel or whatever, right? And, you're, and then you scoop it up and you throw it into the air and the seeds are heavier or the, the wheat berries, they're going to fly up and fall right back down, right? But the chaff, the straw stuff is going to go and blow away in the wind. That's what threshing the wheat would look like. Right? But if you're in a wine press, is there going to be any wind? No. So this is actually, it's doubly difficult. And he's doing this just to stay in hiding. Just so the because the Midianites would never guess that you're going to go thresh wheat in a wine press. Right? So they're not expecting it. And they know you don't have any grapes because they ate them all. So whatever wheat he found, he's threshing in a wine press to keep it away from the Midianites. And he's figured out some system, like he would have had to, like I was looking it up, like how is he even doing this? And scholars think like he would have had to uh, beat the wheat to help separate it and then carry it somewhere else to throw it up into the air so that the chaff would separate. Because there wasn't really, like it's not like you can go in and just like pick out pieces of straw, right? So he's in a wine press threshing the wheat to keep it from the Midianites. And then an angel shows up. I don't imagine wine presses are that big. Angels, another story. So imagine you're in this, let's just say it's a five-foot circular wine press. And you're threshing wheat. And an angel appears to you in the wine press. How much room is there now? Like you're suddenly feeling claustrophobic. Right? Like this huge being just showed up. I don't know, maybe God sent Cupid for this one just because they would fit. But the angel appears and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love this. This guy is so scared of the enemy that he's hiding just to eat his next meal. And an angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The angel shows up and says the exact opposite thing of what you would expect to hear. And we've all been there. You've all had moments in your life where you did not feel like a mighty warrior. And in fact, you knew that the thing you were doing was symbolic of the fact that you are not a mighty warrior. You're like, I'm actually doing the fearful thing right now. And the angel shows up and speaks, mighty warrior. That's powerful. And Gideon says, I love how he's so polite. But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And there's two things going on here. One is when an angel appears, if an angel were to appear to me, here in America, I think very individually, naturally. And all of you do too. We tend to think on a very individual level. 
And so an angel shows up and says, Aaron, mighty warrior. And I'm thinking, oh, nice, yeah. Like I'm thinking about myself. But Gideon hears it and he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Gideon heard the Lord is with you, not as an individual you. He heard it as a you, as in his people, his clan, his tribe. He heard it like we would hear, you know, I came from Missouri, so we would hear y'all. Right? The Lord is with y'all, mighty warrior. <laughs> right? Like, that's how you, you have to hear this, like, plurality to it. He's saying a plural you. Like, if I'm preaching today and I say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, you can hear it individually and think, oh, me, Ben. Right? Or you can hear it plural in, in its plurality as I'm talking about you all. And, and this is part of our culture. This is, this is one of the gods of our culture. The individual. The self-made man, right? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do it. Scroll through Instagram and what are you going to see? It's within you. Take care of yourself. Right? You got to put you for, you need, need some self-care. Right? You hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. We think constantly about the individual and to the effect that when we hear this, when we read this, we read it the exact opposite of how Gideon heard it. Gideon didn't hear Gideon, mighty warrior. Gideon heard his people, mighty warrior. And that's what he spoke back to the angel. And the other thing that's happening is Gideon's asking a good question. He's saying, if the Lord is with us, why is this happening? And you can see, oh, he's got it backwards. Just like we get it backwards. Right? What was the answer? What did the Lord come and say? The Lord said, you have not listened to me. Who abandoned whom? Right? It was the people of Israel that had abandoned Yahweh. But the way Gideon felt, the way that the, his people felt, was that the Lord had abandoned them. The Lord had abandoned them. That's how they felt. It's backwards. Which way is it? Did God abandon them or did they abandon God? When we see the answer, they had abandoned God. So they didn't have his favor. They didn't have his protection. And Gideon goes on and he says, Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they, when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's got it backwards. His people have it backwards. They think Yahweh has abandoned them. He went somewhere else. He found another people group more favorable or something. They didn't not believe in him. They still thought he was a god, but they thought he was a god among other gods. And so they tried, well, like, Yahweh must be not hearing me. So I'm going to go try this Asherah god. I'm going to go try this Baal god. I'm going to go try Moloch and see my luck. And notice this line. He says, and put us into the hand of Midian. Here's some more context. Who is Midian? 
You know what's really interesting to me? If you go back to the book of Genesis and you read the story of Abraham, there's this tiny little story at the very end right before his death. So it's telling this whole story of this great man of faith and him and Sarah, and they have this promised child, Isaac, and they have the problem child, Ishmael, and there's that tension point and stuff. But after Sarah dies, Abraham remarried. A lot of people don't realize this. Abraham married again, and he had five more sons. Or six or something. Like he had five or six more sons. Guess what one of them was named? Midian. Midian was also a descendant of Abraham and would have technically known of the god Yahweh. So when Gideon says, you have put us in the hand of Midian, they're trying to figure out, is this the God of Israel? Because remember, you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, right? This is, this is part of the storyline. So the people of Israel are descendants of Jacob through the line of Abraham. But Midian was the son of Abraham. And he would have known of Yahweh. Maybe the Midianites were coming through claiming that they were serving the real real Yahweh. But God's introducing himself himself and saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's showing the lineage. He's showing that he's not the God of Abraham and Midian and on. He didn't reveal himself to Midian in the same way. Midian's understanding of God as Yahweh was distorted. And they were actually treating their brothers poorly. They would have been distant relations. And this is the other part that we have a hard time with. They're like, how did they not know they were related? Like, this is 400 years, guys. I don't know who I was related to 400 years either. Right? Like, my great-grandparent, like, Norway somewhere. Like, I guess I'm my Viking something. I don't know. Right? Like, do you know who... You're great, 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 great. Like, go, go 400 years in the past. You probably don't know either. Right? So we're, we're looking at this and we're like, well, they're related. Why are they fighting? Why are they killing each other? Like, that's what people have done throughout history. It's not a good thing, but this is telling that story. And so there's some distortion here. And Gideon, this is one of the reasons why Gideon and the people of Israel have started to question Yahweh God. Because is he, is he their God? Is he the God of Israel? Or is he the God of Midian? And the other gods that Midian served. Because Midian would have known of Yahweh, but was not serving Yahweh. We know this from historical evidence and otherwise. Midian was serving other gods. As well as Yahweh. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But but Lord Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and will strike down all of the Midianites together. Think of this for a moment. Go in the strength you have. 
This is one of the things that trips us up when God starts to call. Is you assume you don't have any strength. Or you'll wait until you get a little more strength. You'll wait until you get a little more faith. Maybe, maybe when I know the Bible more, I can follow God better. Maybe when I'm praying and an angel, if an angel shows up to me, then I'll have enough strength. And we tell ourselves, we're kind of, we're, we're waiting for the next thing. We're waiting for the next revelation. We're waiting for the strength. We're waiting for the faith to build. And God, the angel is telling him, go with what you have. Take the strength you do have and use that. But we want to wait. And if you go in the strength you have, whose strength are you doing it in? If you're the weakest, you are the weakest link. Right? Like if you're the smallest, if you're the weakest, you're disqualifying yourself. But in the end, that's kind of what, like God, God wants the glory anyway. If God picks someone who was fully capable of doing it, then who gets the glory? The person capable of doing it. But if God picks you at a moment when you feel weak, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you have no strength, you're the least of the least, and God uses you to do something great, who gets the glory? God. In your mind and everybody else's. Like, oh, well, I won't name names, but that'd be kind of mean. We know if God could use that person, it was really God. Right? Like, that's what we do. You watch God use somebody. You watch someone change and transform. Someone disqualified. Someone unqualified. That's what gives God the glory. That's when he gets to show up. When it talks about Gideon in the book of Hebrews, he's listed, they call it, in Hebrews chapter 11, they call it the Faith Hall of Fame. And it's this list of people who did mighty feats for the Lord through faith. And it says, in their weakness, he made them strong. But so much of the time, we do the same thing Gideon does. We let our weaknesses qualify us, so we don't even try. We didn't even try at all. Another translation, so the NIV says, go in the strength you have. Another translation actually says, go in this might of yours. Gideon responds with the excuse, right? I'm the least. The Lord says, I will be with you. And you and I will strike down the Midianites together. So he shows up and he calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And as we're reading this story, we all understand he was not a mighty warrior. He's fearfully threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding. He's scared. And he knows he's scared. And God starts to call him to something. And what does he do? He's like, I'm from the least clan and I'm the weakest in that least clan. How are you going to use me? Who's going to listen to me? And he wants to disqualify himself. And I think we need to hear that today. I think you need to hear that today. I will be with you and we'll strike down the enemy together. And this is just the midpoint in my message. 
but I really think you need to take this to heart. Like, isn't, is that enough? Or do you need something more? Like, what, what, do you, what more do you need than the Lord is with you? But most of the time, we're waiting on something. We want something else. Something else to convince us. Something else to tell, like, what God's, and somehow it's like we're saying God's not enough. It's like, me, weak as I am, frail as I am, plus God, can accomplish anything. You, weak as you are, least as you are, whatever disqualifications you have, whatever unqualifications you have, plus God, what's stopping you? Like if God is on your side, if you can do something with him together, what is it that you can't do? Tell me. Well, when you put it that way. But I know that's not the storyline that's going off in your heads most of the week, right? What are you struggling with? The things that you face on a day-to-day basis, the voice that you hear that disqualifies you, disqualifies you, disqualifies you over and over and over again. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. I can't do this. And God's like, you're right, you can't. It's kind of the point, because I get the glory. You know what I'm saying? But we let it disqualify us to the the point that we don't even try. We don't even get up. We don't put anything into practice. And God's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Isn't that enough? Go do something great. I'm with you. Go pick up your sword. We'll defeat this enemy together. I don't care that you're disqualified. I don't care that you're the least. Let's go do something together. I love that about God. But we're a lot like Gideon, right? He goes on, verse 17, and he says, Well, if I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. This is where we are, right? Give me a sign. Show me. Show me that it is really you talking to me. And I'm thinking like, I'd just like to see an angel. <laughs> right? Like, isn't, to me, in my mind, the angel is literally the definition of a sign. Like if I saw an angel, that would be my sign. Proof that Gideon is weak. <laughs> right? But we're all there. We've all been there. Like, give me a sign. Show me. Is it, is it God? Is it really you? Is it really you? Please, sir, if I found favor in your eyes. Like, we want something else. We want some other confirmation. And God's asking. He's like, am I not enough? Let's go do this together. And he's like, just, one, just give me another sign. Show me one more thing. And so then he says, Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. This seems like it would be a really awkward moment because watch what happens. Okay, so verse 19. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered to him under the oak. Now, I don't know about you, but I realized they didn't have conventional ovens back then. So this dude goes and kills a goat, 
cooks the goat, makes bread. I've tried to make bread. It is not easy. It is a, it is a three-hour process. It is a three-hour process. If you make bread from scratch, and who knows if he's using the wheat that he just threshed, right? It's like maybe he had to grind the grain too. I don't know. And it says, it says an ephah of flour. I'm like, I don't cook in ephahs. I cook in cups, right? So I had to look up. I'm like, it's nice because study Bibles, like you can go look it up really easy. This is a 36-pound loaf, guys. Or he would have made, like an ephah of flour is not a small amount. Like maybe he made 10 little loaves or something. Like maybe he split it out. Or maybe he just brought one big, but this is like 35, 36 pounds of bread. And he wasn't cooking it in a stove. I'm like, did he roast it over a fire? I mean, obviously, thankfully, he didn't have he didn't have yeast in it. He's making unleavened bread, so he didn't have to wait for it to rise and stuff. So that would have been a little, it would have sped up the process just a little bit. But I'm sitting here like, if I'm the angel of the Lord, like, is he just sitting there waiting on his phone? Or what's he doing? <laughs> you know? Like, what? He's like, yeah, I won't go anywhere. This is, I'm, I'm guessing, at least a three-hour process, guys. He killed a goat, skinned a goat, cooked a goat, made a 36-pound loaf, and then brought it back. And I love this because, like, if I'm asking for a sign, this is not what's in my mind to go do. Right? Like, if you ask for a sign, and the angel says, yeah, I'll give you a sign. And then you're like just off putting on your chef hat. You know what I mean? Like this, this would not have crossed my mind is the thing to do to get the sign I wanted. So anyway, Gideon goes to all this trouble. He's got the broth in a pot. Verse 20, the angel, so he brings it back to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread. Is that rain? I think my windows are open. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Lord's giving me a sign. <laughs> They're just down a crack, but still, that's... This happened to me last night, too. I did, I did not expect rain. And, like, I've got some grass that's dying. I've got a tree that was dying. And so I've been, like, over the last week, watering occasionally. So last night I had a timer set, and I'm running around with a sprinkler until it started just pouring. (laughs) It's one of those moments where you just think for a second, like, I'm not that great. Like, I can go try and do all of this stuff and work so hard, and then God can just do what he wants to do and accomplish more than I did in 20 minutes. And you just, woof, here's some water on your lawn. Just like makes you feel real small, you know? It's like, I just wasted all this time with a sprinkler and moving it around and adjusting it on my yard because my grass looks like it's dying. Okay, <laughs> you didn't need to know that. But I had an epiphany last night, and I'm like preparing for the message a little bit. And I'm just like, all right, Lord. I got you. And it's just thunder and lightning. And I just sat out there on my little porch for a minute and just like, okay, this is, yeah, this is good. This is, this is really good for my ego. And you all didn't even need to know. I got humbled last, last night. Okay. Side story. 
So verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So, Gideon might have just thought that there was this dude showed up in the wine press. Like, this is another thing. This is part of our American view. Like, you pictured a guy standing there with like, Golden, golden white glowing clothes and this sash, right? And maybe a sword and some wings. Definitely some wings. Gideon didn't know at the time that it was an angel. We're privy to that information. He's just got some guy, shows up on the threshing floor, telling him all this stuff. But the Lord's speaking. And suddenly Gideon realized this is the angel of the Lord. And I just saw it. I just saw his face. Am I about to die? Like, what's going on here? But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Would you feel safe in that moment? <laughs> okay. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there he called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands in Ophrah, not Oprah, of the Abezrites. So think about this. Okay, so now he finally realizes God's been talking to him. He got the sign that he wanted, right? A 36-pound loaf just went poof, and a whole goat, right? And all the broth. I've never seen broth burn like that. That's pretty cool. And now he's got his sign, and now there's something for him to do. Okay, so step by step, God tends to do things and work in steps. God starts to build our faith. God starts to show us his plan. And God told him, together, we're going to defeat the Midianites. But before he goes and tackles the Midianites, God's got something that he needs Gideon to do. So verse 25, it says, That same night the Lord spoke to Gideon. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. I love this. Build a proper altar. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. This is, this is a key part of the story. And this can kind of symbolize a key part of your story. And what I think God wants to do today. What God wants to do in us as our church preparing. Because God wants to show up and say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He wants to call you to do something great. 
But usually before you go do that great thing, there's something in your way. There's something that's holding you back. And for Gideon, it was his father's altar. An altar to Baal and an Asherah pole. And they represented his gods, his family gods that were not Yahweh. And now, again, I don't know about you, but my parents didn't have a shrine to Baal or an Asherah pole in the house. And none of your parents did either. None of your parents, I don't know, maybe somebody's parents had a Buddha or something, but like nobody in here probably had a parent with an idol. But remember earlier in this conversation when I was talking to you about the gods of our culture, the gods that run things, the gods that push things, push things, the gods that have an agenda. And a lot of them for us is our past. Your past tends to rule you a lot. It has a big voice in who you are, what you do, what you think about, what you say. And Gideon's father's altar represents your tie to your past. That's what this represents. And Gideon had to go and stand up to his father, stand up to the family gods, stand up to the family spirits, and say, no longer. In fact, the Asherah pole was made out of wood. Guess what wood he used to burn up that bull? He actually used his past to make an offering to God, to build a proper altar. But most of us, we've still got our past looming large. We haven't let it burn. We haven't gotten past our past. We're stuck in it. You still, in your mind, you're still bowing down to those things, those attitudes, those mentalities, the things in our culture that have been passed down from generation to generation. Some of those things you know And some of those things you don't even really realize. But all of us here have a past. All of us have family ties. And probably right now, everyone in here is thinking about something specific. And I'm bringing this up. And man, the room got quiet, y'all. past. Right? We don't want to go there. We don't want to look there. Sometimes we want to pretend it's not there. But God didn't let Gideon pretend it wasn't there. God made Gideon face it and deal with it. He had to face it and deal with it. He had to stand up to his dad. And he was still so scared This is the least of the least part, right? He was still so scared, he did it at night. And, you know, there's that key line. He says, build a proper kind of altar. This was no small feat. These are like big stones. That's why he got 10 servants, so that they could do this. He had to get 10 huge stones to build a proper altar. Imagine something big enough to put a 
full on. That's going to take you a while to build this proper altar. And the bull, the bull represents the so-called future prosperity in their own strength. Right? Because you're not, if you sacrifice that bull, you're sacrificing any kind of future animals. Right? You're not, calving season's going to be difficult next year. Right? And the Midianites are already stealing everything. And so Gideon is having to confront his father's gods. He's having to confront his past. And he's having to sacrifice the future of anything happening in his own strength. And that's kind of what it's going to look like for you, probably. As God starts to lead you and call you and show you his plans and his purposes. When you go to confront that thing, it's going to be uncomfortable. And some of you might have to like confront it in the night, so to speak. But I love the fact that even though he was fearful, he still did it. Sometimes we let our fear stop us. And we don't do it at all. You're like, oh, Freddy Cat, he did it in the night. Like, you know what? This was a big step. The story goes on and it tells how the, the, the whole clan, the town wanted to kill him for what he did. He had every right to be afraid because he knew what the consequences might be. This is a powerful story about confronting family ties, about confronting your past and all that it represents and sacrificing it on a proper altar. Because you can either choose to let fear run rampant and rule over you or you can follow God's way. And you look at Gideon and, and it's, it's like it's easy to see because the dude had nothing to lose, right? The Midianites are going to come take it one way or the other. So in one sense, he's got nothing to lose by going and doing this. But most of our lives, in the middle of it, it doesn't look quite that clear, does it? When you're facing the giant, when you're facing the enemy, when you're facing your father's altar, when you're facing down your past, it doesn't look that clear. What's going to be the outcome? Am I going to be as free as Gideon got? Is my future going to be unlocked like Gideon's was? Am I going to be able to even defeat my enemy? And there's all these risks to the challenge. And when you take it and put it in your context, it can be overwhelming. And you might be a little bit fearful to confront your past. to confront your father's altar. And just to be clear here, I'm not telling you to go home and just hash it out with your dad. I just want to make sure that's, that's clear. I mean, maybe, one, maybe somebody in here needs to do that. I don't know. <laughs> but that's like, this is, for us, this is a symbolism. 
right? You know what your father represents, what, the father, what Gideon's father represents for you, what the past ties represent to you and how powerful they are, how much they push you around, how much those voices have a say. And it's interesting, you know, as your pastor, I get up here week in and week out and I give you a message and I share, but I've got about one hour of time with you to give you God's word and to challenge those voices, to challenge that way of thinking, to challenge your past that's trying to control you and hold you back and instigate fear. And you got all week. And you know, when you go home, it's not quite the same as being here. Right? Like, there's a strength that happens when we come together and we're worshiping together and we're singing. There's a strength that happens when God's word is coming forth. And it's not because of me or my voice. It's because it's his word. And you're hearing it. And I can see it on your face and I'm watching God move and I'm watching thoughts and attitudes be confronted and I can see you going, yeah, that's true, that's right. But you've also, every single one of you have been to church here before. And you felt that before. But you didn't go back and confront that thing. You didn't actually deal with it. You didn't deal with the past thing, the past hurt, the past pain, the past God of the culture, the past unforgiveness, whatever it was, whatever offense it is that you were holding on to, you didn't actually go deal with it. And so it's still kind of there under the surface and it bubbles up and it bulldozes you at just the wrong time. The very moment that you could go do the right thing you shy away. The moment that you could step into that call, that destiny, and you back down. Because it's hard. It hurts. It hurts to confront your dad. It hurts to confront your past. It hurts to face down those things and deal with them and actually let them be consumed on the Lord's altar. And I find it interesting because there's two altars here. The first altar, Gideon just brought like a little goat and some bread. And it was like God did it and there was this sign, this miraculous, and then poof, it just got consumed. You're like, I want God to do that. Right? That's how we want God to deal with our past. That's how we want him to deal with our fears. That's how we want him to deal with our father's altar. But God says, no. This time, you got to build a proper altar. We're not going to just find a rock and set a loaf of bread on it. And I'm not going to do all the work. Last time, I made it just explode in fire. This time, you've got to light the fire. You've got to put the sacrifice there and you've got to build the altar to put all of that on. Oh, I want, can't you just do it? It's 
quicker. Right? Like, it'd be nice. But Gideon asked God for a sign, and now God was asking Gideon for a sign. Show me you're up to this task. Show me you're going to trust me, even when it's risky. Show me you've got a little bit of faith to confront your father's altar. Show me you've got a little faith to do what needs to be done. Because if you're going to be bound up, if you're going to be held back by your past, then you're not going to be able to move forward. You're not going to be able to to lead people. You're not going to be free. And so there's an element where God's going to do some of the work. God's going to show you. God's going to build your faith. God's going to make the 36-pound loaf just disappear. All right. But now there's work you need to do. I feel like that's kind of the way Sundays are. Sundays are a reminder. Sundays are a sign that like, poof, things can just disappear. And maybe there's been moments where you got prayer on this altar or something happened in a sermon where you were standing there with your hands in the air worshiping God and it was like this burden just got released. You felt God's presence really strong. Something changed in your heart and it was like God just did it. Ooh, I like that. Can you do that every time, God? You know what I'm saying? But you are at a stage, hear me? You, y'all, you're at a stage in your walk with God where you've got to build a proper altar. And it's going to take a little bit of work. You've got to go get a bull that's a proper sacrifice. And you've got to be the one that sets fire to it and lets it be consumed. And you've got to take the risk even when it might make your dad mad (laughs) or your mom, your uncle, your high school teacher. I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know who it is in your past that pertains. But all of us in here have a past. And all of us have to sacrifice it on a proper altar. Or it's going to continue to hold us back. And so this morning, as you're listening to me preach on this and you're hearing it, you go, okay, I think I'm with you. We're going to stand up here at the altar in a few minutes. And it's going to be the start of that process. But the real challenge comes when you go home. Because you've got to do the building. I can't place the rocks for you. I can't provide the bowl for you. You've got to do the work. In fact, I probably, unless we've had a conversation, I probably don't even know what that past thing is for most of you. But you know what it is. And you've got to put it on the altar. And you've got to ask God, help me deal with this, even when I'm afraid to confront it. Even when I'm afraid to deal with it.
I'm afraid of what my life will look like if I don't have the safety of the wine press. I'm afraid of what my life will look like if I don't have the safety of my father's gods. I'll be so different from everybody else. My life will look so different from everybody else. But you know what? If we're honest, like I passed the point where normal was anything I wanted a long time ago. Because I look at what's normal in American culture. I'm like, hmm. Doesn't really hold that much appeal. Think about the things that are considered normal in our culture. And remind yourself, you don't have anything to lose. Because that's the best they have to offer. Like, the gods of this world don't even pay well. <laughs> we get so caught up in those attitudes and mentalities, though. And we saw, like scroll through social media for a little bit, and it gets on you. And you suddenly want what they've got. But if we're honest with ourselves, you, you really don't. We really don't. So let's stand. And let's start the process of the altar. I think just, I don't always do this, but I think just because I've been preaching about the altar all morning is we've got an altar up here. Let's come stand on it together. Come on up, come on up, everybody. Squeeze in like you know each other and like each other. place that we're standing in a sense is irrelevant right because this isn't this isn't going to be our church forever this isn't going to be the spot where we gather but what to me what makes this sacred is moments like this when we're standing together as a church body and we're trying to build a proper altar and today, you're not being asked to go find a big bull or a goat or a 36-pound loaf. Scripture says that the temple and the altar is no longer built with human hands. It's actually made out of us. You are the temple. You are the altar. You, it's, it's, that, it's a place where we gather together. That's what makes this a proper altar now. Jesus died once for all. That sacrifice was the last sacrifice that was needed for forgiveness. But now, his church, his people, we're a living stone. We're a living altar. 
That's what Corinthians says. And so when we stand here like this, to me, this is, looking at you all, this is the proper altar. This is where it starts. And this is where you can lay things down. This is where you can start that process of confronting your past and everything that it represents. And you can stand together in worship. You can stand together in prayer and respond to God and give it to Him. Let Him burn it up. Let him deal with it. But you've got to put it there. You've got to build it. So let's pray. Say, Jesus, my life is yours. Everything I am, everything I have, it's yours. I lay it at your feet. And today, I lay my past at your feet. Every hurt, every offense, any unforgiveness, anything that's holding me back from you, I lay it down. Help me to let it go. Help me to burn it up and let it be consumed by your fire. In Jesus' mighty name, set me on the path to victory. Just like Gideon. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.